Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. Who was here last Sunday to hear David talk uh, about being made for mission? That's great. So David's message last week and my message this week, they're meant to dovetail. They're going to be very similar in emphasis with maybe some different, different bits of uh, practical outworking. But that whole phrase, those three words, made for mission, is something that we'd really like to kind of frame a lot of what we do over the, uh, this, this month and the coming months as well. And next month in February, we'll be gathering together here at the building uh, during the day on a Tuesday, so if people want to come during the daytime and then on Wednesday evening uh, to talk about how we can be effective in the mission that God has given us as a people. So that will be happening instead of life groups, so please don't miss any of those. Um, we may record them, but the whole emphasis will be about worship, some short, punchy teaching and instruction, and then some discussion and, and, and talking together as well. So the whole evening itself will be really invaluable. So please make a, a real conscious effort to come to, to either the Tuesday afternoon at 1 or the Wednesday evenings at 7.30, starting at 8 for, uh, for those times together. Um, there's a, you know, Stefan mentioned scientists this morning and what they can measure and I, might, I think I've told this story before but some scientists have decided that uh, they don't need God anymore and uh, they, they call God to a meeting so it's all the scientists of the world are represented really all the, the smartest guys and, and ladies around uh, a room full of boffins and white coats and uh, they call God in and they say God we're really glad you, you could come thanks, thanks for making the time um, we just want you to know that we appreciate everything you've done up to this point I mean, it's been superb, but we've got it from here on. Uh, we know now how to make people. We know how to make a person um, from scratch. So essentially, we don't need you anymore. So why don't you go and do something else, but we're good now. The earth is fine. It's in our hands. So God's very gracious. And he says, oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations on, on your endeavors. It sounds like you've really come on a lot. Um, so I tell you what I'll do. I'll make a person. I'll make a human. And you make a person. And we'll compare them. And if... If yours is better than mine, or even if they're on a par, then that's fine. I'll, I'll leave, you to, leave you to it. So the scientists kind of get back into a bit of a huddle, and they chat about it, and there's a lot of sh- uh, nodding of heads. And they come back to God, and they say, it's a deal, God. And God says, yeah, but the, only, the, the deal is you have to make them from dust. And they're like, absolutely, that's fine. Everything we need is in the dust. And so just as God's about to leave, he sees one of the scientists lean down to pick up some dust from the floor. And God says, whoa, 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 get your own dust. <laughs> But you know, God has literally created everything. He's not missed anything. And here's the amazing thing. He's made you and he's made me. And um, I have started reading through the Bible again. I'm doing the chronological Bible this year. And I've loved reading through the beginning of Genesis. And that whole description of God forming and then God filling. And days one, two, and three, God forms stuff, doesn't he? He forms the light and the dark on day one. And he forms the sky and the sea on day two. And then he forms the dry land and the plants on day three. One, two, three, I think I've said that right. And then he starts to backfill what he's formed. So on day four, he fills what he'd made on day one. He puts the sun, the moon, and the stars in where the light and the dark was. And then on day five, he fills in the, the sky with birds and the sea with fish. And then on day six, he fills in what he, made on, on, what he formed on day three, and he puts animals in. And then, and then he does this amazing thing of he, he then gets down his hands into this dust that we've just talked about, and he forms this Adonis. I mean, Adam, he was a, he was a hunk. 
I don't use that word lightly. I don't use that word often, but he was a hunk. God made this perfect form of a man. He formed him, and then he filled him. He breathed his breath, his ruach, his life, his spirit into Adam, and Adam came alive, and all of a sudden, someone was distinct from all the other parts of creation that God had made, because all of a sudden, God had made a man in his image, and here we are. And then God actually thought, you know what? That's good, but I can do better. And he lays him down and he takes a rib (laughs) from Adam's side. Mark 2. That wasn't her name. (laughs) And forms Eve. And Adam comes out of this anesthetized state that God had put him in. And the first person he sees is Eve. And he's like, wow. (laughs) And all of a sudden, God had formed in his image man and woman. And you read back to to God's intention, let us, that corporateness of the Godhead speaking with one another, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in perfect unity, perfect community, saying let's do something incredible, let's let's make man in our image, mankind in our image, so that they can be blessed, and they can be fruitful, and they can multiply, and they can fill the earth, and they can subdue everything else that we've made. They can be like us, represent us perfectly in the earth. They can establish a world that's in order, a world where there's justice, a world where there's relationship, a world where things are formed and then filled and and let Adam do the pioneering stuff and then no no one will make it beautiful like Eve. And so there's a forming and there's a filling and a forming and a filling and God says there it is, representing us perfectly to express love and relationship and rule in the earth. Here we are. We're made in God's image. And then sin comes, the enemy comes to try and do everything that he can to knock this off course, to totally destroy God's plan, God's purpose. And it seems like things are knocked off course, but it's not very long before you see Abel, or you meet Enoch, or you meet Abraham and Sarah, or you read about David, and you realize actually God's purposes are still on course, because there are men and women of faith who know that they're here for a purpose. And you read Acts 13 and the description of David we talked about in Powerhouse, David served the purposes of God in his generation. So that those who were made for mission still continue to carry out the mission that God had made them for. Even before God then sent his son. And the eternal son of God was willing to take human form. You know, when God sent Jesus to fulfill the purpose and to fulfill the mission of putting everything back on track and bringing about restoration that Beth has been talking about this morning, God chose to do it in the way that he'd done it originally with Adam. When Jesus came, he didn't come as some phantom or specter who floated around. And sometimes we read the stories of Jesus like he was slightly off the ground, untouched by the world. It's not me whistling, by the way. It's the mic, but I don't know. Is that okay? And I I find it incredible that God chose to, to get his mission perfectly back on track by sending his son as what? A man. A man full of the Holy Spirit. And that's all that is needed for the mission. A man or a woman saved, brought back into relationship with God. So yes, they're saved from eternity without him, but also they're filled with him, the fullness of him, the spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. And here's Jesus. 
a man. And Isaiah 53 prophesies about this man. He was like a, a green shoot that had come up out of dry ground, but there was nothing about him, about his appearance, that was beautiful or would cause us to be attracted to him. He looked like a normal bloke. I think far too often Jesus is portrayed, and he's far too handsome. There's a really good portrayal of Jesus in John's Gospel, but man, that guy's far too handsome. There was nothing physical about Jesus that people would have necessarily noticed or sparked their interest, and yet he was this most charismatic man who's ever lived. Why? Because he was full of the Holy Spirit. God was saying, my mission's the same. All that's needed is a man or a woman who's full of me. When I've got that... The mission will carry on perfectly well. Thank you very much. I don't need to revise it or change it or anything else. I just need to do it as I originally intended. And so Jesus comes and he makes the invisible God visible. And here we are today with our physical bodies. If you're saved this morning, if you've given your life to Jesus, could you give me a wave? It's getting a bit warm up the front, so just cool me down a little bit. Fantastic. <laughs> if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, give me a wave. You have all that you need for the mission. Isn't that great? We have all that we need. But sometimes I don't think we quite recognize the significance of our bodies. For those of you who don't know me very well, I was a physiotherapist. I trained as a physio and I worked as a physio for 10 years. And I think the human body is phenomenal. It's an amazing piece of kit. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. But we were made for purpose. I, I like running, but I wasn't made for running. I was actually made to worship God and carry out his mission. And God has established us and made us in that way. But sometimes we take those things for granted or sometimes we recognize or we, we, we think about the things that don't work but actually we need to focus on the things that do work and recognize the potential that we have in our bodies. Yeah. And there are a number of things where we don't always recognize the fullness of their potential. But God wants us to take what's ordinary yeah. because most people you know have bodies. Is that fair to say? <laughs> but we take what we have and we devote it to God. You know, our bodies, it's like our money or our home or our relationships um, or our work or any of those things. They're common, they're good, lots of other people share them, but as soon as we dedicate them to God, then they become consecrated. That was the whole principle of the temple. They made bowls. They were beautiful bowls, but they were bowls. They made tongs. They were lovely tongs, but they were just tongs. They made tables, beautiful tables. They even put gold on them, but they were just golden tables, and then they devoted them to God, and all of a sudden, they became these holy objects, these glorious items. Think about the Ark of the Covenant. It was just a wooden box overlaid with gold, and yet, because it was dedicated to the Lord, the very presence of God rested on it. Isn't that an amazing thought? And God wants us to take what's ordinary and normal and clean and everyday, devoted to him, and God does something amazing with that. That's why the tithe matters. Because I give my first, my tenth to the Lord, and every, the 90% becomes consecrated. It's like, Lord, here's yours. I'm giving it all to you. Here's your tenth, and it's yours anyway. And Lord, you bless the rest of the dough, as it were. It works in every area of our lives. And there's some things I've got some pictures of. You might know these things already. You might already be aware of these things. But these are normal everyday items that I hadn't actually realized their full potential. So we can put them up on the screen, please. The first one, I don't know how clearly you can see that. That's a, like a, a McDonald's takeaway cup. Other takeaway cups are available. And the lid, when it comes off, fits perfectly to become a coaster for the base of your cup to make it more stable and to stop it dripping on the... Does anybody know that already? Is anybody that bothered? Not really, are you? you know. <laughs> or... 
the ring pull on a can of Coke or something like that, you turn it around and it becomes perfect to support your straw. Has anybody put a straw in a can or a bottle and what happens to the straw in a carbonated beverage? Up it comes, pops out onto the table, onto the floor, you can't use it anymore. But now you've got a holder for your straw. It's a late Christmas present for you. Okay, next one. Thank you, food beast. Your noodle pots open up to become a plate, and the McDonald's little cups. You know, who likes a sausage and egg McMuffin? Oh, I've got a witness. That's the biggest witness I've had so far today. So. And you have to do that bite first, so you can get the little curve so that it actually dips into your tiny pot, yeah? Has anybody had that pain? Just me. And then what, but what you can do is you can actually open the pot out. They're meant to be open so that you get a good dippage. Thank you. You're welcome. Next one. So that hole that you have in your spaghetti server is, apparently is the right amount for one portion of spaghetti. So if you don't know how much spaghetti to put in, count how many people you feed in, and then just get the right amount of spaghetti in each one, and that's your serving. Okay, that, that didn't go down very well. This, however, this blew my mind. I obviously did not read my highway code. Does anybody know what a little arrow next to the petrol pump means on your car? Fiona Bassett, what does it mean? Tells you which side your petrol cap is on, on the car. I've got in a higher car before, and I've had no idea which side the petrol pump is on. It was in front of me all the time. Is that news to anybody here? Because last week in Market Harbour, it was like I was the only person who didn't know that fact. And I've brought with me an OXO cube. I didn't realize this. My wife is a font of, of knowledge, and this was proved to me more than ever. Try and rip open one of these bad boys. It's a pain, isn't it? And then you have to get the tiny little square, and you, you kind of do that to it, so more of it's on your fingers than it's actually in the hot water. So it's not fun. But she told me this, that if you pull the corners out... Did anybody, does anybody know this trick? I mean, I should have found a bigger oxo cube, but... You pull the corners out, like this, and then you squeeze... So it's all beginning to be broken up within. And then you rip open the top and you just sprinkle it in like that. <laughs> you thought you might not get revelation today. Well, there it is. <laughs> but normal everyday things, I've not been using it right all this time. I've not known the potential that's there. Well, guess what? It's the same with our bodies. We take these things for granted sometimes, but here's the thing. We've been fearfully and wonderfully made, and the body that you have, God wants you to devote it to him, and when you do, he will do incredible things to it. There's more potential in you and me than we know sometimes, and we recognize. As men and the women full of the Holy Spirit, we are restored. It's right, but we're restored to be restorers. And if you turn in your Bibles to Matthew, I just want to read some examples of, of how Jesus, with, with his physical body, was able to serve God's purposes and carry out the mission that God had for him perfectly and what we can learn from him. So if you just turn to Matthew's gospel, please, and I'm just going to turn to Matthew 4. Uh, yeah, Matthew 4, verse 18. Matthew 4, 18. I'm just going to read some verses from here, and then Matthew 9, and then Matthew 14. 
So Matthew 4, 18, New Living Translation says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, also called Peter, and Andrew, throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I'll show you how to fish for people. And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little farther up the shore, he saw two other brothers, James and John, sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets, and he called to them to come too. And they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Okay, Matthew 9, please, verse 9 and 10. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting in his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many other tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. Okay, Matthew 14, verse 13. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he's just found out that his cousin, uh, John the Baptist, has been beheaded and that he's been buried, so he's lost a family member. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he left in a boat to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. That evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, that isn't necessary. You feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass and Jesus took the five loaves and two fish. He looked up toward heaven and he blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave the bread to the disciples who had distributed it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted and afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all the women and children. Three little snapshots of Jesus' life, three moments in, in time where Jesus is, is, is moving around and, and doing things. And, and the first thing that I was captured by, um, when you go back to that Matthew 4 verses, in verse 18, it just says, one day, as Jesus was walking, and I just want to talk about our feet. I've talked about our feet before. But I want to say this to you, if you're a believer and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you carry the good news of who Jesus is, you have what kind of feet? Beautiful. Beautiful feet. How lovely are the feet of him who brings good news? How lovely on the mountain are the feet? Have a look at your feet. They're beautiful. Why? Because they carry the messenger who brings good news. They carry you around. And in each of these instances, I don't know if you noticed this, Jesus was walking or moving using his feet. Acts 10.38, Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. And, and, and Jesus just walked around and he's walking. Where is he walking initially? Along the, the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. I'm sure Jesus walked there many times before. And his feet would have got dusty. They would have got muddy. He wasn't hovering. He was walking. And as he's walking, he sees things. He hears things. He meets people through his everyday walking around. And in this instance, he sees Andrew and he sees Simon and he calls them 
And then he goes on a little further and he sees James and John. I think he's seen them before. I think he knows them before. James and John were probably his cousins. He's met them many times before. He's walked them many times before. But this time he's seeing them and he's calling them. It's the right time. And then he's walking through Nazareth in Matthew 9. And who does he see? He sees Matthew, the tax collector, in his booth or kiosk. And he's seen him many times before. But this time he calls him. And now Jesus is in a boat and and he sees the crowd. And what does he do? He steps out of the boat. And I don't think sometimes we appreciate that we can have sanctified feet. And that our feet will take us into situations and places. Only we can go because God is sending us there with good news. And only you or I in the situation that we find ourselves where our feet lead us are the ones who can bring that good news. Our beautiful feet. And God wants us to recognize that where we walk around and where we go, even though we might go there every day because we go to school or college every day or we go to work every day or we go to the shops on this particular day or the gym or whatever else it is, that our feet are carrying us and therefore they're beautiful and there's a purpose. And that we can dedicate and sanctify our feet and that there's an adventure to it. There's a video clip I'd just like us to watch from Lord of the Rings. Um, it's, it's a book that I read when I was in university, and it's the story of Frodo, Mr. Frodo, and he's got a ring which represents power, and it's the power of, of an evil ruler called um, Sauron who lives in Mordor, okay? And this ring represents power of evil, represents sin, really, and he has to take this ring to Mordor to throw it into the fire of Mordor so it's destroyed completely. He's dealing with this issue of evil, And this is Frodo and his friend Sam setting out on this great adventure together. I love that sense of adventure. You step out of your door, and if you don't heed your feet, you never know where they'll take you. But I love that sense of when we leave our homes, that God is leading us into something, into an adventure. It might be the same place that we go into, but that when our feet are sanctified, he can lead us to meet people on that day that we won't have met before or we've met many times before, like Jesus was with uh, Andrew and, and Simon. But it's the time when the Holy Spirit speaks to us because it's time for us to do something or say something in that place when our feet are sanctified. It was a, a few, it was about a month ago now or maybe a bit more when I, I was uh, out running before a Sunday morning and I took the dog, Dougie, for a run. And as we were running back through Narborough, I felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to go into the park in Narborough. And I just thought, I kind of dismissed it, carried on running, and then I really felt I should go into the park. So I went into the park, and I, I stood in the park. Me, Dougie and I were in the park. There was nobody else in there, and I just said, all right, Lord, what now? And then as I was standing there, a lady walked into the park, who Sarah and I have known for a very long time, and she even came to the church for a while here, and then it sort of drifted away for different reasons. But I was able to have a conversation with her and really warmly invite her back to church and just talk to her about that. And, and it wasn't like she fell down and said, what must I do to be saved? But I had a conversation that I felt was significant in that moment that I wouldn't have had if I hadn't just gone into the park. And then off again, I went back home and, and, and that was it. And I don't know anything else that's going to happen as a result of that. But I do know this. I, just thought, I ended up in the park. Nobody was there. And then all of a sudden, this lady walks in and I just thought, Lord... Let it be like that more often for me. That I know that wherever I'm going, there's a purpose here. You're leading me into something. And I've run past this park many times. You just happen to say, wait for a minute. And in that moment, you've led someone to me. I've been able to have a conversation with them. 
doesn't have to be bigger than that or, or kind of, you know, the heavens opening. And I'm up for that. But just sometimes it's a prompting of go here or go there or just wait a minute. And, and when, we, when, when our feet are sanctified, we're in a position where God can use us. Everywhere you place your foot is significant. Just press, could I ask you just to press your feet into the floor for a moment? I know lots of legs are crossed. And just plant those feet into the ground. And I pray, Lord, we ask that you'd anoint our feet, Lord. Thank you for our feet. Thank you for where they take us. Thank you for where they'll take us this afternoon, where they'll take us tomorrow and the coming days, weeks, and months ahead. And Lord, I pray that you would sanctify our feet, Lord. Cause us to realize that where we go, Lord, it's significant. Where you lead us is significant. Lord, I pray that we would take the land for you. We take territory for you. We take our streets and our neighborhoods and our schools and colleges and workplaces and and, uh, social areas for you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. And then the next thing I see about Jesus is as he's walking along, what does he do? He sees. And he hears things. There's a great verse in um, Proverbs 20, verse 12. Proverbs 20, verse 12 says this, Ears to hear, or hear, and eyes to see, both are a gift from the Lord. Now, I believe God does want us to have good eyesight and good hearing naturally, but I also believe that it's talking about discernment and seeing things, the right perception, perceiving the things the way that God sees them and perceives them. That actually God wants us to see us in the way that he sees and hear things in the way that he hears. And that having those things are a gift from God. So when Jesus is walking along and he sees Simon and Andrew, maybe for the hundredth time in a, that he's seen them, all of a sudden he sees them in a different way. Or James and John, or, or Matthew at the tax collector's booth. Or when Jesus sees the crowd. Can you imagine what that crowd must have looked like? The range of people in that crowd, young and old and in between, wealthy and poor, people who looked healthy, people who looked sick. A real range of people. And Jesus sees this crowd and he doesn't start to break them into groups. Subgroup A. Healthy, wealthy, probably won't respond to the gospel. Subgroup B. Poor, sick, good chance they'll respond to the gospel. The need is obvious, etc. No, he looks at the crowd and he just sees one thing. Sheep without a shepherd. Sheep without a shepherd. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? God doesn't want us to compartmentalize different people and categorize them based on their social status or what sort of house they may or may not live in or the car they may or may may not drive or how well or poorly they may look. Every person that doesn't have Jesus in their lives is a sheep without a shepherd. They are lost. And sometimes the people who seem most sorted are the least sorted. It's a facade. I shared this story before, but I remember driving into work when I was working as a physiotherapist and praying and saying, Lord, help me to be more effective at work. I don't feel like I'm making much of a difference at work. And I've realized I've not been praying. I've not been asking you to be involved. I was sanctifying my work that morning on my drive into work. And I hadn't done it for a long time. And the Holy Spirit convicted me of that. And I walked into the department and there was my colleague, Laura. And I just asked her, I felt the Holy Spirit say, ask her, how's life? Just, it wasn't even like the Holy Spirit, how's life? I just felt like I should ask her, how's life? And I never used that phrase. And I said, how's life? And immediately she started to say, I wish I wasn't alive. And she broke down. Now, Laura was the most together-looking person. She was an excellent physiotherapist, really sorted, really organized, immaculately turned out, always on time, just looked like she had it all together. One simple question, and all of a sudden, you realize she's broken. 
And there was an opportunity to share my testimony with her. And she came here on a Sunday and she, she gave her life to Jesus. And, and it was just a simple case of, of, of seeing something different in a person. Don't, don't think because somebody's this, that, or the other. Don't Say, Lord, help me see things as they really are. Can I ask you, you just put your hands on your eyes for a moment. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would anoint our eyes. Thank you that you've given us uh, the ability to see things and I pray that you'd bring natural health to eyes. I do pray that right now. Let there be natural health. Pray against cataracts and, and um, limited eyesight and any other issue of, of eyes, that are issues that are here this morning. But I pray as well that you'd cause us to see things the way that you see them, Lord. That that's a gift from you. And we're asking for that gift this morning. Anoint our eyes, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Sanctified feet, sanctified eyes. And then I believe his ears, he heard things. But he heard them as they really were. So when he heard a question, he, he knew the heart behind the question. He perceived those things. And sometimes he was even surprised by what he heard. And I love that. I love that the Roman centurion surprised Jesus by his faith. But he heard faith. Or he heard an issue. And, and that God wants us to, God, God wants our ears to be sanctified so that when people are talking to us, we really hear what they're saying. Arna talks about that. He talks about harvest language. Is that familiar to many of us? Where people are sharing needs or they're sharing issues or they're asking us things and they're drawing on us in a way where it's because they've seen something in us. I was talking to Sarah and she, she was describing the, one of the, the, the lads that works at the hospital with her and she finds that when he's talking and when they're talking together, he's asking her questions about faith and about God and there's something there that she knows that the Holy Spirit is doing something in, in his life and, and our prayer is that he's able, she's able to hear those things and share her faith but all of a sudden you're aware then. There's an opportunity here. There's, somebody is open to the gospel here. Can I just ask you to place your hands near your ears? Because if you close them up completely, you won't hear where I'm praying. <laughs> Could just say anything, couldn't I? But Lord, I ask that you would sanctify and, and anoint our ears. I pray, Lord, that when we hear people talking this week, that we'd hear what they're really saying. I ask, Lord, that we'd hear the heart behind their words, whether their words are harsh or whether their words are, are positive, Lord. That, Lord, you'd help us to really hear what's going on behind them, Lord. I pray we won't be put off by those who speak harshly to us because, Lord, behind those harsh words may be a, a hurt person, a person who's in pain, who needs you, Lord. And I pray that you would anoint our ears to hear things the way that you want us to hear them, Lord. Amen. Jesus went around. He walked, he saw, he heard. And whenever he walked and saw and heard, something happened in his heart Jesus looked at the crowd. He's just heard about his cousin dying. He wants to be alone. He chooses to try and be alone. And what does he find? A crowd. But what does he feel when he sees the crowd? Compassion. Not just, ah, ah, bless him. It wasn't that at all. It wasn't, it wasn't a passing, oh, I really feel sorry for that person in particular. He saw the whole crowd. And that word I don't even know how to say it properly. It's like splanknomazea or something. It's a, but it just means a, a, a gripping in his guts. Yeah. Just he felt this 
this, this compassion for these people. That, 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 that men, I can't sit in this boat. I can't withdraw. I want to withdraw. I want to go somewhere else. I want to be alone. But oh, this compassion that I have, this care that I have, this love that I have for this, this people who are in so much need, I have to go towards them. And he sees them, and when he sees them, he feels this compassion, this love that we've been talking about this morning, filled with compassion. And I believe God wants us to take us into situations with our feet, to see and hear things, that when we see them and hear them in the right way, something in our heart breaks, and there's a compassion for them. I believe that is going to be the key for us reaching out. It's a It's a heart. For the lost. Amen. It's not some good practical tips. They're, they're great. But it's a heart for the lost. That draws us to them. Rather than causes us to withdraw from them. That causes us to do what Jesus does next. I remember walking home. When I was back in South Wales. And I was probably about 15, 16. And I was walking up the, this, this hill back to my house. You're either walking up a hill or down a hill in Merthyrville. And I was walking up a hill on this occasion. And to my right was a big council estate called Swansea Road Estate. And there were some kids from there that I didn't particularly like very much because they were, they were causing trouble and they weren't, they weren't great to be around. And it was, a very, it was renowned for a lot of issues. But as I was walking up this road, I just felt the Holy Spirit stirring me to start to pray for this place. And as I did, I felt this love for a place that was not lovely but the Holy Spirit did something to my heart as I was praying. And I actually, I was crying. I was praying that God would move in that place. And God wants us to, it's, it's God who changes our hearts in the first place, isn't it? It's God who takes our heart of stone and makes it into a heart of flesh. It's God who changes us from within and causes us to love him and follow him and obey him and causes us to love others. Love comes from God. 1 John 4. God wants to change the way that we feel about the world, about people around us, about those who are lost. Could I ask you to place your hand on your heart? Hmm. Lord, I pray that you'd give us your heart. Thank you that you've changed our hearts already. Holy Spirit, you've transformed our hearts. And we just ask, Lord, that you'd continue to rule in our hearts and that you'd lead us And I pray right now, even now, that as I'm speaking to you, Holy Spirit, that you would put people on our hearts in a fresh way right now. That there are colleagues that you're bringing to our mind, that you're putting on our hearts right now. That there are neighbors and friends, family members, schoolmates. That we would have a fresh compassion for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when our hearts change, then our thinking changes, doesn't it? The way that we think about people changes. And God wants to anoint and have our hearts consecrated and our minds as well. And Jesus knew what they were thinking. And, and he wants, I believe, all of us to think differently about ourselves, to think differently about those around us, and to think differently about the, how, how ready we are for the mission. Uh, there's a guy that Sarah and I got to know, and I have to say that my attitude towards him wasn't very good. And um, I found him annoying, to be honest. And I, um, was, I was 
I'm not normally like this, generally at all, but I was quite, I was dismissive about him, and I just found him annoying, and, I, and it sort of grated against me, whatever it was. And I was, and Sarah obviously caught that in maybe how I was talking about him, and, and she challenged me. And I'm so glad that she did. And it was like, it was, it was the Holy Spirit through Sarah was challenging me in my attitude towards this person. And I had to repent. I had to ask the Lord to forgive me. And, and this person now is somebody I really care about. It's somebody that I actually choose to spend time with. Because there was something that God changed in my heart that changed the way I think. And now I think and feel differently about this person. So that when John McGinley was with us and he asked us to text someone on that Momentum Saturday, he's who I texted to say I'm praying for you. Because I felt like I could do that because a relationship has grown between him and I. But it happened because of a challenge that I needed about my heart and my mind towards him. But as soon as things are handed over to God, God can do incredible things <laughs> with our hearts and our minds, can't he? He's the transformer of those things, the restorer of those things. And we receive his heart and we receive the mind of Christ. And I also believe this. God wants us to be the best thinkers, those with the most wisdom, those with the best ideas, because in the, in the workplace and in school life and in every area of life, God wants us to be the ones who bring his wisdom into those situations. We're to be the most creative, the most helpful, the most inspired. That's what we're called to be. And then when we hand everything over to the Lord, he can transform those things and cause us to be a testimony for his goodness and his power. And so as our feet take us, because they're sanctified, and we see things with eyes and ears that are anointed, and our hearts are changed, and the way that we think changes, then the inevitable outcome is there's an overflow that comes from our mouths and through our hands. Because that's what happens with Jesus, that will happen with us. So Jesus sees Andrew and Simon, and what does he say? Nice day for fishing, boys. Hope it goes well. Bye. It's time to follow me. Come and follow me. And what do they do? They abandon everything. They're ready, and they go sees James and John. They, I don't know what his dad must have been thinking. Their dad must have been thinking. He's left in the boat wobbling while they're climbing out and walking off with Jesus. That Matthew leaves, get up, gets up, leaves his tax collector booth and he calls a party together and all of a sudden Jesus is speaking with a whole group of people that are so lost that the Pharisees don't have anything to do with but he's having dinner with them because the whole door is opened into a part of the community that desperately needed him. Or that he sees these people and he begins to speak into the situation on, on, the, on, the, on the hillside uh, before he, he feeds them and he takes and he blesses and he breaks and he gives the bread, he gives thanks. But God wants us to know we have anointed mouths. He wants us to speak out and to be bold. I was in the gym changing rooms on Thursday in the morning and there's this guy Gaz at the gym who's a, he's larger than life. I mean, you know he's in the room, no matter how big the room is, how many people are in there. He's just one of those people, big personality, big voice. And he always asks me about Bible questions. And anyway, we're in the change rooms, and there's probably about seven other guys in this, in, in this area. And all of a sudden, he goes, ah, Richard, the uh, feeding of the 5,000. That I was reading that today, Re reading the feeding of the 5,000. I never really understood it. Do you understand it? I said, I think I have some understanding on it, yeah. He said, yeah, I really thought about it. And, um, and I thought he was going to go down the route of, which is what my RE teacher told me, that the little boy inspired everybody else to give up their lunches. <laughs> and therefore everybody ate, because it was like a massive bring and share. 
Uh, no, Mr. Griffiths, that's not how it works. <laughs> but he said, he said that, that little boy, he didn't have much, but what he did have, he gave it to Jesus, and Jesus fed everybody with it. I was like, that's right, guys. Isn't that amazing? That whatever, however small things might be, if we give it to God, if we give it to Jesus, he can do incredible things with it. And all these other guys are just like, I don't know, putting talc on or just trying to, <laughs> trying to go about their business while me and Gaz are having a theological conversation. But I thought, actually, do you know what? He's bolder about speaking about the things of God in this changing room than I am. And he's not even saved yet. <clears throat> I felt a challenge of the Holy Spirit. Like, come on, gas it up. But you'll be in the gym change rooms and you'll hear people talk about, oh, it doesn't have to be a changing room. It can be anywhere. All the, ch- all the time. Christopher Alton. You can be in any setting, in a staff room, in a classroom, in a room of friends. And what will they talk about? Love Island. Coronation Street. Horoscopes. Celebrity. This age of celebrity music. Some stuff's interesting. Some stuff's just, oh, please, Not. And there we are with the good news, and we're keeping stum. But then when we're led into those situations, and we see things differently, we hear things differently, our hearts are changed, our minds are changed, we start to speak out the truth. We bring good news. I've been prompted by Gaz to talk more about the things of God. And here's the thing, it tells us in the Bible, faith comes by hearing. Do you know what Paul is talking about? He's talking about saving faith. We read that as Christians, and we're like, faith comes by hearing the word. That if I read the word or I read the word out, faith comes. That's true. But actually what Paul is talking about here is saving faith. That when you speak the good news of the gospel of who Jesus is, that a person who hears that, for the first time, the Holy Spirit takes what you've said, says something in their hearts that faith is produced, and they believe, and they're saved. And we had a part to play in that. And then the last thing is our hands. Jesus spoke and Jesus took and he took the bread and he breaks it. Jesus touched people and he, he fed people and he ministered to people. He was hands-on. Whether it was leprosy or whether it was a, 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 any other skin condition or blindness or whatever it was, Jesus used his hands. And here's the thing, he wants us to use our mouths and use our hands to bring good news because we were made for mission. Made for mission. Just put your hand on your mouth for a moment, please. I'm going to hold mine slightly away so I can talk, not be too mumbled. Lord, I want to thank you for our mouths. And actually that our mouths were made to bring good news. That's their primary purpose, is to worship you and to bring good news, to talk about you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would anoint our mouths. Thank you that you've said we don't need to worry about what to say, but the Holy Spirit will help us and direct us when we need to share and when we need to speak. And I just pray that we'd have a fresh boldness to speak out about the good things that you've done in our lives, to speak out about who you are, Jesus, and what you've done for us and what you can do for the world, what you've done for the world, Lord. Anoint our lips, we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.